Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. Today's message, claiming nonviolence, our choice. You might have wondered about what? Why are we even asking that? Why are we even asking the question whether this is a choice or not? And so today I thought in honor of Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, we're going to dive a little bit into his work and his passion and what that actually means for us today. And we're starting out with a brief history. It's quite interesting how uh, MLK got to where he got with his nonviolence work. And it started in college in 1944 as a freshman when he picked up this book by, by Thoreau, Civil Disobedience. And he was so fascinated by that book, he actually wrote in his book, Stride Toward Freedom, fascinated by the idea of refusing to cooperate with an evil system, I was so deeply moved that I reread the work several, reread the work several times. This was my first intellectual contact with the theory of nonviolent resistance, 1944, right? In his freshman year at college. A few years later, 1950, he was then in um, seminary, his, uh, the president of the Harvard University went to India in 1950 and learned a lot about Gandhi. Gandhi by then was already gone. He died in 1948, but there was a lot of energy around his movement still around. And so um, the president of Harvard you know, just talked about it. And again, MLK was inspired by the work that Gandhi did and here's what he said, what, what, what King said. He said, Gandhi was probably the first person in history to, live, to lift the love ethic of Jesus above mere interaction between individuals to a powerful and effective social force on a large scale. Up until now, MLK embraced nonviolence intellectually. He embraced it as a way of being for himself and a way of understanding that the world needs to change. But he hasn't really done anything in practice yet. Inspired by Gandhi and other writers and by so many people and inspired by this woman that probably everyone knows. Any idea? Okay, thank you. Just checking. Okay, just checking. So, at the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955, five years later, that's when MLK started to really get into action. When he started to use his nonviolent work that it did with himself and understanding and exploring it, and he started putting it in action. For example, he refused to arm his bodyguards, even though he had um, death threats. The other thing is, it's my understanding, unless I read it too quickly, that his house was bombed. And 
When that happened, the only thing that he chose to do was to focus on compassion for those who committed the crime. So he started beginning really to step into the action of that nonviolence, then coming up with the principle of nonviolence, saying, which is the guiding light of our movement. That's the guiding light of our movement. And he said two things. He said, Christ furnished the spirit and motivation, and Gandhi furnished the method. He was very inspired by Jesus Christ as a pastor. Uh, that's very natural, of course, but he was equally inspired by Gandhi. For him, Jesus Christ gave that inspiration, the spirit of being nonviolent. But Gandhi really showed him how he could move this into the United States, into the movement, and make it actually happen methodically on a large scale, just like Gandhi did. And we all know now, so many years later, that he succeeded. He succeeded in many ways. Here's one thing he said. At the center of nonviolence stands the principle of love. And he had a notion of nonviolence that he put into six key principles. The first is one can resist even evil without resorting to violence. Seems pretty, pretty cool, right? You can resist e evil even though you do not have to be violent. And nonviolence seeks to win the friendship and understanding of the opponent, not to humiliate, humiliate them. And third, evil itself, not the people, committing evil acts should be opposed. That's important. We often forget that. If someone behaves uh, a bit odd, we often blame the person rather than the behavior. And this is what this is saying. We should not believe that the people are evil. And how unity is that? Because we do not believe that at all. There cannot be a second power next to God. It's impossible. There's only one power and one presence, isn't there? Therefore, if something comes across to us as evil, it's the behavior that makes it look like evil. But the person behind it is still good, is still perfect. And that's why we seek friendship and understanding rather than humiliation. Number four, those committed to nonviolence must be willing to suffer without retaliation, as suffering itself can be redemptive. That's very traditional Christian, right? The redemption. Uh, it's also very Buddhist. The suffering. Leaning into the pain, as Pema Schoenberg would say, to lean into the pain rather than running away from it. So you see here some Eastern influence also in his writing. And then a big one here, nonviolence resists and avoids external physical violence. Yes, we all know that. But it also avoids internal violence of spirit. Internal violence of spirit. The nonviolent resistor not only refuses to shoot 
his opponent, which is the external physical act, but he also refuses to hate him, internal nonviolence. It's key, right? And we don't have to go as far as talking about shooting someone, but how often have we kind of be a little bit rude to someone, right? Or how often have we held back from being rude but kept on hating the person? We need to do both, okay? Six, the nonviolent resistor must have a deep faith in the future, deep faith, right? Very, very clearly spiritual again, stemming from the conviction that the universe is on the side of justice. The whole idea of God being good at all times, God is goodness. It all originates from good. There is no evil. Evil comes in through behavior, through misunderstanding, from not knowing how, from being lost. But at the core, we're all good. God's calling. Can you hear him? <laughs> right? Hear him, her, it? Okay. I always love to do this joke. So whenever you leave your phone on, I'm going to say it's God calling. So, so what we're going to focus on today is just one principle, principle number five. And he said it in a, in a quote a little bit different, but you will recognize it. Nonviolence means avoiding not only external physical violence, but also internal violence of spirit. You not only refuse to shoot a man, but you refuse to hate him. So that's principle number five, and we're going to focus on that today. And why? Because I'm going to focus not just on the physical, but actually only on the internal nonviolence. Because it's very clear when we read these quotes by MLK or others that it's addressing an external type of way of being. But we often forget that there is an internal way of nonviolence. I would also call it avoiding internal violence is the opposite said, fostering internal nonviolence. Internal nonviolence. So let's do this. So number one is we must foster our internal nonviolence, okay? which requires us to, what do you think? To love, accepting, forgive. forgive, yeah. Let's see what I have for us to change our minds and hearts. It's okay. I, I just want to hear, you know, these are all great, great, great uh, suggestions, which requires us to foster internal nonviolence, requires us to change our minds and hearts, our thinking and feeling, Right? which again requires us to, in order to change our mind, what do we have to do? Change our hearts, yeah, what else? Admit you're wrong. Admit you're wrong, perfect, that's a good one. Be open, be open. open to spirit. Be open to spirit, okay, let's see what's on the slide. Be disciplined with our thoughts and feelings, it's okay, you know, we're just having fun here. I wish I could change the slides really quickly because your, your answers are awesome. But that's what I have. Be disciplined with our thoughts and feelings to 
become more self-aware and introspective. And if we put it together, we could say, a little bit shorter, we must foster our internal nonviolence, which requires us to change our minds and hearts, to be disciplined with our thoughts and feelings, to become more self-aware. It's a bit clunky, but we'll work with it. Okay? Now, you might read this and say, wait a minute. I'm not really resonating with this because discipline, ugh, discipline, I don't like that word at all. Anyone gone to school and loved discipline? No, right? Kids do love it. I see kids shaking their heads, not liking disciplines at all, right? And the other thing is, you know, and, and when, you, when you combine discipline with internal nonviolence, especially in the Western world, it seems like what? It doesn't fit, right? It doesn't seem to fit because, because we believe discipline is often something harmful or something hard. And then how can that go together? So in a way, it's a contradiction. It seems like a contradiction. But here is where it's helpful when we can go into the origin of words. When you look up Merriam-Webster, the first definition of discipline is what probably many of us have thought of when we first read the word discipline. It is that kind of negative kind of control gained by enforcing obedience or order, right? Not very nice. But when you go into the original, the original word into Latin, where it's coming from, disciplina, it actually means instruction and knowledge. And there's another word that's connected Discipulus or discipulus, also from Latin, which means pupil and student. Now, guess what? We have options now. We can now think of it differently. And funny enough, over 105 years ago, in 1917, Charles Fillmore, our co-founder, had a speech that he gave, or a sermon he gave, called the necessity of mental discipline. And here's what he said. Now, this universal recognition of the necessity of disciplining the mind, and the parentheses he mentions, education is simply mental education, should give us a clue. And here he adds another piece that I want to add today as well. It gives us a clue to the oft-repeated references in the Bible to the right attitude of mind. So discipline is not punishment, but it's education, and it leads to right attitude of mind, and I always like to add the heart as well. Always mind and heart, mind and heart, all the time, never separate, always together, right? Father, mother, God, never separate, always together. Good. So right attitude of mind, so we can then say discipline means education, it means right attitude. That's what it means. And when we read this now, we must foster our internal nonviolence, which requires us to change our minds and hearts to be disciplined, educated, to be a pupil, a student, with our thoughts and feelings, then to assume a right attitude. Okay? In essence, we could say that's that fifth key principle. In order for us to learn the internal nonviolence, that's one way 
how we could approach it. But what about choice, you might ask? You know, I'm having this teaser and I haven't even talked about it yet. You know, and I've been talking for a while. What about choice to choose or not to choose? That is the big question today. What about choice? Now, let me poll real quick. So how many of you believe that we have a choice? Okay, majority, okay, good. How many believe that we do not have a choice? Come on, some of you, be, be, be courageous. Everyone agrees he has a choice. Okay, let's continue. Let's see if, if anything changes. In Proverbs chapter 331, we read, do not envy the violent and do not choose any of their ways. It's what Charles Fillmore was talking about. It's all over the Bible. It's the right attitude of mind. Do not envy those who are violent and definitely do not choose their ways. And here's MLK again. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. That's what happens when we continue to be violent. And I want to emphasize again Today, I'm not talking about slapping each other physically. I'm talking about the stuff that we do quietly at home, beating ourselves up, regretting things, having guilt over things, be angry with each other. I'm talking about that kind of violence. Because that kind of violence, if we continue that cycle, it will take away even more light from the already glooming night that we sometimes see. You know, someone mentioned yesterday the war in Ukraine. Remember, like almost a year ago, we did quite a bit. We did several prayer vigils. Um, we started the meditation group to come together at 10, at 10 p.m., okay? But it all kind of fizzled off since then, didn't it? That's the physical violence that is happening. But what have we done since the Ukraine war began about our own violence that we do to ourselves or each other? Have we looked at that? Have we been concerned about others, that they should be better, and what about us? So those are the questions we could ask ourselves. What about our own violence that we have and do to each other? Another thing MLK said is about darkness. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only hate can do that. Oh, only love can do that. What did I say? Of course I said hate. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and then he said, and, and I love this one, peace is not merely a distant goal that we seek, and that's what came to mind when I thought about the Ukraine war. You know, obviously we want peace, but it's not just the goal, it's also a means by which we are, arrive at that goal. Which means if we don't learn to be at peace right now, the peace that we seek outside of ourselves will likely not happen. Because guess what? If we put peace outside of ourselves, we are very likely to wait for others to do the work. Remember what I told you about the, act, the acronym TEAM, how we translate it in German? 
team, toll ein andere machts, great someone else does all the work, right? That's what he translates to. That's how we often get to. When it's something really big, like the war in Ukraine, we often feel so small that we don't believe we have any power. But that's not true. We're powerful, individually and as a community. We, it's this community right now, in person and online, if we truly would believe and have faith and have conviction and we could come to such a peace right now that it would be felt in Ukraine. And we're actually going to try that in a few minutes with our meditation. But I still have a few more slides to go. So if we, we ask our cool Jesus here, well, what would Jesus say, right? Cool Jesus here. We, we can go back to, to something very important. He's talking about the eye and an eye, which is the Hebrew scripture, kind of like the, the Old Testament kind of way of approaching it, violence against violence. But then what does he say? But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also, right? Absolute nonviolence. That's where the inspiration is, okay? Turning the other cheek, it's pretty a tough choice, isn't it? When do we turn? When do we run away? When do we smile? And so on. And again, MLK says, Pretty simply, nonviolence is the answer to the crucial political moral questions of our time. You can even take politics out of it. It's nonviolence is the answer to all questions of our time. Really, you think about it. You know, we often misunderstand what politics is. You know, Aristotle wrote this work, politica. You know, politics in Greek, politica actually means the affairs of the city or the affairs of a larger community. You can even say the affairs of our families, the affairs of our friends, the affairs of our community. That's what politics means. It's not just a few hundred people up in, in Washington that's politics. It's, it's all over, okay? And then he also says nonviolence is a powerful and just weapon. Indeed, it is a weapon unique in history which cuts without wounding and enables the man who wields it. It's interesting to see nonviolence as a weapon, right? A weapon who doesn't wound. But it can be a weapon. And when we use that weapon within ourselves and we have the certainty that we're not going to hurt ourselves, we can start wielding against all those dark thoughts and all those violent movements we sometimes have in our minds and our hearts. Confident that we won't hurt ourselves. Very similar to the burning bush. You know, Moses with, and the burning bush where the God spoke out of the burning bush or the angel and God spoke out of the burning bush and everything was consumed but the bush. The same thing. When we are in spirit, everything that is false falls away, and we don't have to worry because the, what remains is us, true, the true of who we are. We get it, MLK, but do we have a choice? Okay, another poll. Do we have a choice still? What do you think? Oh, hold on, hands, hold on, hands, hands, hands. Okay, okay, now those who... 
now start to waver. We don't have a choice. Anyone? Wow, you guys are great. Oh, one. Okay, thank you. Thank you for playing. Thank you for playing. Okay, so, well, do we have a choice? Well, MLK says, we still have a choice today, right? So he says, yes, we have a choice. Nonviolent coexistence or violent co-annihilation. This may well be mankind's last chance to choose between chaos and community. Last chance, about 50 years ago, last chance. We're still here, you could argue, right? Oh. And then another, okay, don't mess with me up there. Okay, just leave me alone, I can do it, I'm a big boy, um, okay. So famous, famous, okay, they're still, they're still, I, I'm in charge, this little thing here. Okay, there you go. Okay, I wanna go back, there you go. And then let's see, maybe it's a timer or something. So, okay, yeah, there you go, okay. So there's another important choice, a very famous choice that was being made, right? A long, long time ago, and some of us believe that's the original sin. And we made the wrong choice, right? That's many of us who grew up in certain traditions have heard that before. And here's my little teaser for next Sunday. We're doing a little commercial break right now. I want to invite you to come next Sunday because next Sunday I'm going to align my, my message with that of the youth and family ministry. We're going to talk about the exactly same thing. And guess what we're going to talk about? about the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, chapter 1, 2, maybe 3, and maybe we get to Adam and Eve, and why this is not an original sin and can only be understood and should only be understood as a blessing, but certainly a great choice. Like I said, next week, on channel Unity Fort Worth at 11 o'clock, please tune in. We have an awesome program for you, right? So final poll, choice or no choice? Do I even have to bother? Who thinks we have a choice? Okay, who doesn't think we have a choice? <sighs> okay, I don't know if it's going to work, but let's see what Martin Luther King has to say. Today, we no longer have a choice between violence and nonviolence, it is either nonviolence or non-existence. Let me repeat this. Close your eyes for a moment. I want you to take this in, take a deep breath. Today, we no longer have a choice between violence and nonviolence. It is either nonviolence or non-existence. You can open your eyes again if, if you're ready. You know, I, I still choke up a little bit when I read this because that's the inspiration. That's the quote I ran across that inspired me to give this talk today. Because I wonder, as much as I believe in unity and our teachings that say we have a choice, that actually resonates with me. We no longer have a choice. We need to get it done. We need to be nonviolent. We need to learn this. 
And again, not just not slapping each other in the face, but more importantly, we need to stop being violent to ourselves. We need to learn to in be internally nonviolent. And it's critical. It's critical now, right? And both work, right? We, we both have no choice in doing that, and we both have a choice still. The choice will never go away, but what the non-choice is that we should be clear on what we need to choose. So the next time you want to be angry at someone or angry at yourself or regret something or have a quarrel or whatever you do, remember this. If we don't start doing this, the wars will just pop up, keep popping up. And we're still going to be in disagreement. We're still going to not shoot, but still hate the man. It's just going to continue on. And maybe we'll exist in 50 and 100 years or in 200 years, and maybe not, who knows. But for our own sake and that of our children, maybe you're inspired by that as much as I am. We must learn to live together as brothers and sisters. I add here, sorry, I'm okay. Or we will perish together as fools. And finally, a little extension of what you just saw before. Nonviolence is a powerful and just weapon which cuts without wounding and ennobles the man who wields it. And here's the last bit. It's a sword that heals. A sword that heals. So we have a choice, yes, and yet we don't have a choice. We have a weapon that doesn't wound, a sword that heals. And we're here to do this together as much as we do it on our own. And with that, let us take a few moments in meditation. Allow your breath to lead you to a place of peace. And if it's comfortable, just close your eyes or lower your gaze. Get comfortable in your chair, in your pew. Feel the ground beneath your feet. And open your heart and mind to the world and the universe. And breathe in, breathe the truth of who and what you are. Remember that we are precious as individuals and powerful as a community. Remember that we all are at the core, beautiful, perfect, 
graceful, charming, gentle, kind, compassionate. Remember that at that core, violence has no existence. So by remembering to be nonviolent, it is the same as coming home. Home. Home where the heart is. Home where we belong together. Allow this idea of perfect peace to fulfill you right now. And let us join each other. Let us hold hands in our spiritual mind and understand that we are here to do this together. We are peace itself, love itself, beauty itself, nonviolence itself. We are the peace that passes all understanding, for this is the will of God, our will, in Christ Jesus for us, or in any way sure for us. We are beyond our understanding. We're beyond our limitations. And right now, we're all here to remember each other as that. So let us lift us out of the darkness and be the light. Let us dispel of any hate and be the love. Let us be the community that we always wanted to be. And let us take this peace with us into our houses and homes and work. And let us continue to remember that we are at the core divine. And let us take a moment in silence to experience that.
And as we open our hearts and minds even more, we allow our gratitude to enfold us, our love to come forth and inspire us. And together we meditate and pray and affirm the lightness and the caring and the love we already, we already are. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.